You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Well, church, as you can see there on the screen, um, we are still in our I Am series. We started last week. This is a four-week series where we're looking at at least four of the seven I Am statements of Jesus when he was in his earthly ministry here on earth. And today's message I have entitled uh, very easily, I Am the True Vine. Uh, One thing I would encourage you is uh, if you come in and maybe you weren't able to be here for a previous week's series, uh, not so you can just listen to Walter and I talk, uh, or Nate, if Nate was here uh, when he preached for us a couple weeks ago, um, but just so that you can get caught up if you miss. So if you missed last week, Walter preached on I am the good shepherd and uh, gave us a really good understanding of who Jesus is as our good shepherd. And so today, we are looking at Jesus' parable talking about, I am the true vine. And uh, I want to encourage you today, uh, if you are taking notes, take them along, follow along with me. I'm going to give you some questions of application uh, to kind of work through as we look at these two points today. Uh, But before we do that, I I want to just give you a a quick little story uh, or ask you a a question, I guess, coming from it. Uh, At at my new job at the city of North Charleston in code enforcement, uh, one of the things that I personally do within my uh, area of work is uh, I... Uh, if somebody has an older vehicle that's at least 25 years of age, we call it a restoration uh, decal. And so the person has a vehicle they're wanting to work on or, or whatnot, and they want to keep it. Maybe it's a family heirloom, something like that. They come in. It's a, it's a $10 fee for the year. It gets them a decal, and they're able to have that on their vehicle. Well, one of the things I've noticed through a couple of um, conversations with some people, it, it's new to them. Maybe if they've moved to the area, they don't know about it or anything like that. And uh, I had somebody that talked to me the other day, and they said, uh, well, I've got a vehicle, um, but it, it doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, so that would be, you know, it's, you know, you, you need to have this or whatnot. Well, he didn't have it within the timeline of at least 25 years. So uh, the way that the city code operates is you have to have um, the tires inflated. It has to be able to run uh, and, and be able to be used. Well, I asked him, I said, is that the case for you? He said, uh, well, I mean, I've got the body. I don't have the engine. I said, well, sir, if you don't have the engine, the car can't run. And so it's just going to sit there, which would be against code. Like, it has to be able to run. Like, if you have a garage or something, you can put it in, you can do that. I don't have a garage. Like, well, I'll let you talk to the inspector, sir, and, and they can kind of help you from there. But that, that thought process of that conversation got me thinking about this. I know today we're talking about a vine and branches, But I thought about that with the car. Like, if you have a vehicle and you don't have the engine, the car is not going to run, right? You just have a frame. (laughs) You just have a vehicle that's there, but it won't propel. It won't move. It won't go forward. Same is true with what we're seeing with Jesus today. When he is talking about him being the vine and the disciples being the branches, if there is no vine and there's just branches, what happens? It's just a dead limb, right? You have to have the vine to be able to utilize the branches to there in turn be able to bear fruit. So that's what we're talking about here today. Kind of an overarching theme for today is followers of Jesus 
need to have an intimate relationship with him in order to produce much fruit. Because he is the vine, we are the branches. With that said, I'm going to go ahead and and jump right on in. If you're taking notes, the first point is this. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Read with me in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. We begin this parable with Jesus declaring that he is the vine. He is the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser, the gardener type person, if you will, in this parable. (coughs) Excuse me. By Jesus indicating that he is the true vine, you might be saying, well, what does that mean? What is he referring to there? If you want to just write this in your notes, this part won't be on the screen. But in Isaiah 5, 7, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, the nation of Israel is referred to as a vineyard, okay? And so Jesus' coming and his testimony of being the true vine indicates even to the Jews that although they believe that they are the only means to God, they are their nation, they are the people, God is actually the true vine. Up until Jesus' coming, that was the case. But because of Jesus' coming... And his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary and his death bearing our sin and shame upon his shoulders and God's wrath being poured out on him, his death, burial, and then resurrection from the grave three days later opened the door to where the the curtain in the temple is torn. No mediator of of another person on this earth is needed. We have Jesus as our mediator because he has paid the price. He has opened the door to where any who would repent and believe may come to him and be saved. Jesus is making it clear. I am the true vine. You see, for any person at that time period that wanted to know, okay, well, how can I be made right with God, right? How can I be in good standing with God? Well, they would go to the religious leaders or the religious elite of the day, and they would ask, hey, what do you need me to do? (coughs) Excuse me. There's the first problem right there. What do you need me to do? There's nothing that we can do in our own strength or ability to earn favor with God. You've heard me say it time and time again. On our very best day, what we can offer God is mere filthy rags. Thanks be to God because of Jesus' sacrifice and those of us in Christ who have repented and confessed Christ as Lord, we have his righteousness that covers us. So when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Because if he looks at us and we didn't have Christ, he would see Brian's unrighteousness, therefore giving me what I deserve, eternity in hell, separated from him. The same is true for each and every one of us. So if anybody came in and said, what do I need to do? Well, they would tell them, well, you need to join the nation of Israel. You need to become circumcised. You need to perform the sacrifices. Oh, you got to follow the calendar. You have to do all these things, which were a part of the law, which were good things to strive for and to do prior to Jesus' coming. The whole point, though, we've covered it in the New City Catechism, the whole point of why Jesus had to come is because nobody can obtain the law. Jesus had to be that sacrifice. He had to be it. It ties all the way back into Leviticus, as we studied a couple years ago. Every single time somebody sinned, they had to come to the priest and offer up a sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice paid for our sins. Amen? Aren't you grateful for that? 
Thanks be to God, that is the case. He is saying, listen, the law is great. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm the one that's come to do this. I am the one sent by the Father. I am the only way to be made right with God. Let's look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus indicates that since he is the true vine, the disciples are the branches going forth out of the vine. Go back to the example I gave you a moment ago with the car. If you don't have the engine, the car won't do anything. It's just a dead shell of a body. It cannot move. It cannot work. If a tree does not have the vine and it's just branches, they are branches that will decay, that will rot, and they're done. Nothing can be done with the branch apart from the vine. We see in this verse a distinction made by Jesus. Jesus is making this distinction regarding said branches, those who bear fruit and those who do not. What does Jesus mean by that? Let's look at the the ones that do not bear fruit first. These are the people who appear... They appear from the outside, it looks like they're following Jesus, maybe. It looks like they're doing the things they need to do. For those people at that time period, they were doing all the sacrifices. They were doing the things that they thought they needed to do. But they did not know the one who can cleanse their soul. They did not know the one who could make them perfectly well in the sight of God through Christ's righteousness. Fast forward to today. You may know people in our lives. I pray to God this isn't the case here in the room or by listening online. We just, we got to check all the boxes. We got to do everything. Okay, God wants me to read my Bible. God wants me to do this. God wants me to do this. Okay, God, I did it all. But then we're sinning like crazy throughout the week and we have no remorse for it. We have no conviction. It's a problem. If that's the case and there's somebody that's like that, that type of person is not going to bear fruit, right? It's not going to happen. They're going to bear some things, but it's not going to be fruit. It's not going to be good things that point people back to God for the glory of his name. Bless you. There's no true evidence of bearing fruit for those type of people. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's look at the ones that bear fruit. These are the people who are truly following Jesus. They have experienced a radical change and transformation in their life. They are not living like the way they used to before encountering Jesus. They came to a point in their life where there was an intersection. And at that intersection, they met Jesus and they radically changed. Many of us in this room or listening online can attest to that. There was this time when I was this person. There's this time where I am now this person. And there in the middle is when I ran smack dab into Jesus and he changed my life. For each of us, that was a time in the past that has helped us move forward into the future as we go. The reality is there are some people who don't have that past yet. It's not a past tense for them. It is reality. 
This is the reason why it's so important that we learn these truths and these things of God so that we're on mission in our daily lives. Because there's people that we know and we love who are still living as we once did in our past. It's their present. And they desperately need Jesus. Notice here, these people that bear fruit, they've experienced that radical change. They're in the word consistently. They're proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. There's evidence in their lives that they are intimately known by the Father. And they know him. There's evidence. Notice also what Jesus says the Father does. He prunes the branches so that they bear more fruit. Just like a vine dresser would. Just as a vine dresser would. You prune the tree as it bears fruit so that it in turn can bear even more fruit. God does this with us. As we grow in our sanctification, as we grow more and more into the image of Christ to know the things of God, we will never know it all until we see Jesus face to face. But as we consistently are pursuing Christ, as we're consistently growing and asking the Father, Lord, reveal more of yourself to me. Lord, teach me more of this. Lord, if there is sin in my life, draw me to repentance. If we earnestly are doing that and we're asking the Father to do that, you better believe he as the vine dresser comes and he prunes. He cuts those dying things out of our life. He prunes us. He cleanses us. Thanks be to God that he does that. Because when he does, we bear more fruit. Verse 3 tells us, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The word God has spoken to his people has cleansed them from their unrighteousness. The same is true for us. Because of our sin and shame, we are dirty and full of sin. But God cleansed us through Jesus' poured out blood. As Jesus dies on the cross and atones for our sins, he washes them away. He has conquered death. We have been cleansed of our unrighteousness now we have Christ righteousness. The areas of our lives where we aren't growing and thriving in the Lord, they're pruned so that we can grow more and more into the image of Jesus. Verse 2 is what that's saying. And here's the reality. Let, let's be honest. As we're growing in our walk with Jesus, as the Father prunes us, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard being faced with the reality of our sin. But here's the beauty of the gospel. We don't wallow and drown in that sin and shame. We have a Father that is merciful, that is full of grace and love. And he says, come to me, my child. Let me cleanse you. Let me help you. Verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. These upcoming verses, they're very critical for us, church. What does it mean to abide? It means to remain to stay, to reside. In other words, the Lord is telling us to stay in his presence, 
to remain and reside with him. Every one of us at some point in our lives have gone on vacation, right? We, we've gone on vacation. You, you probably have your favorite vacation spot. Mine, it's in the mountains of Tennessee. Great Smoky Mountains, going into Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, that's my spot. I love it. We, we went all the time growing up. It's a blast. Like, that is peace there. But here's the thing. When you go on vacation, you go to that place for a period of time, right? We don't go and stay there for the rest of our lives. No, we have home. We come back to the place where we reside. When you go on vacation, you only go for a period of time. You hang out there, you get some rest, you do what you need to do, but then you go home where you reside. You go home to the place where you feel comfort. How much greater is it when we're with the Father that we have the one who loved us enough to send his son to die, that we remain in his presence, that we stay, that we reside. It's not a temporary thing. It's for all those in Christ, it's the place where this is the most comfort, this is the most peace, because it's in the presence of God. It's walking with him daily. It's being faced with Things that leave us questioning, God, what are you doing? Why is this now happening? And you got to say, God, what are you up to? But he never leaves us. It's, it's like earlier we got here and um, Noah, ever since the construction stuff's been going on for the school, he thinks he's a project manager. And he want, every time we're like getting close to the church, but he's like, or if I pick him up from school in the afternoon, uh, Daddy, can we go see the construction? I'm like, dude, you just saw it yesterday. Like, not much, not much can change that quickly. But we got here today, and he wanted to see it. So I, I walked him up there quickly, and we're walking around. And, you know, it's a construction area, so you got to be careful, right? So we're walking around. I'm like, son, give me your hand. And so I've got his hand, and I'm helping him around the areas and stuff because I don't want him to fall. As we go down the stairs, I'm holding his hand so he doesn't fall going down the stairs. That's an earthly father-to-son relationship. As we reside and abide in Jesus, the Father never leaves us. The Father keeps us. He guides us. He protects us. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus connects back to what he said in verse 1 and 2. He's being very clear. Just like a branch can do nothing apart from the vine, his followers can do nothing apart from him. I don't know about you, but I'm very relieved by that. See, we've all taken advantage, if we're being honest, of this beautiful relationship we have with Jesus. We've all had times where we thought, man, the waiting is too long, Lord. I'm going to figure this out. The illness or something that has come up, we say, man, I'm waiting on the answers, Lord, but I'm going to do more research. I'm going to go and do this and do this and do this to find out. Yet no matter what we do, 
apart from Jesus or trying to get ahead of Jesus, we're always going to fail. Always. Apart from him, we can do nothing. This goes right along with Jesus' words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need Jesus. We need him. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, the reality is given here for those who think they make it on their own through this life and they want nothing to do with Jesus. It ties back into the reference I made from Matthew earlier. You see, Jesus is pointing, big theological word, to an eschatological reality here. Eschatological is talking about the end times, the day of judgment. Those who are not his and who do not abide in him are thrown away into the fire. Jesus says the branches are thrown into the fire. Jesus is pointing to hell. And that's a word that people don't want to talk about. It's a reality that people don't want to deal with. But the truth is, although we are fallible men, you are going to get the truth from Scripture from us because we believe this is reality. The truth is, the Scriptures tell us of it. The Scriptures are true. This is what the reality is for anyone who is apart from Christ. We must abide. And in our abiding, we must fulfill the Great Commission. We must do what God has called us to because those people that you go to work with, that you begin to have a relationship with and get to know them and love them and care for them, and those neighbors that you're around, that you begin to build this relationship with and get to know you begin to think, man, I love this person. I care for this person. This is not me being harsh. If we love and we care for them, why on earth are we not telling them what they need to know? Why? I've heard stories told in the past through evangelism trainings and through uh, seminary and all of that. He said, there were times, I've heard people say, there were times in my life where I knew I should have shared with this person. I knew I should have told them about Jesus. And then the time came where I finally did, and the person looked at me, and they, they had already known Jesus by this point, and they said, man, why didn't you tell me about him long ago? I would have loved to have known this back then. And that's not a condemnation thing. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 tells us. The Father will have his way. We plant, we water, somebody else comes up behind us and waters. God gives the growth. But it could very well be that you are the one that is planting the seed. I am the one that is watering the seed. Somebody else comes along and God gives the growth. We've got to at least be proclaiming it because hell is real. It's a reality. 
And there's many people in the circle of accountability around this building. And there's many people around the circle of accountability in your life where you live, work, and play that do not know the reality of life eternal with Jesus. They know a life eternal separated from Jesus. They need to know the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Eternity is at stake. So let me ask you a couple questions of application for this point. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? You're here today, and that's great, but are you just checking a box, or are you truly being transformed by time with the Father in His presence? How are you at being a branch? Are you being pruned in a way that helps you to grow more and more and thrive and bear fruit? Or are we bearing little to no fruit? Because if Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, then as we abide in Jesus, we bear fruit. That's point number two. Abide in Jesus and bear fruit. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As followers of Christ, we can all say, man, there are times where I just felt like, God, I need this from you. I need this. I have this request. I have it. We all have. We've all had those points in times where We've done that. Here, Jesus is telling followers of him, if you abide in me and he in us, he will grant whatever we wish. Now, we have to stop for a second. We can't chase the rabbit trail of saying, okay, Jesus, you said if I ask, you'll give. He's not this genie in a bottle that we just come and we rub and we say, hey, 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 I opened the word. I need you to give me this. No, he will give to those who abide in him, those who he loves, those who are his children. He will give whatever we ask. But as John tells us later on in 1 John, he tells us that we must ask according to the will of the Father. Jesus even says that in the model prayer from Matthew 6. He says that we ask that his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So when we ask those things of the Father, we ask and we always say, Lord, please, may your will be done in this. This is my request to you. But Lord, if this does not line up with your will, make it your way. Make it your way. And teach me how I can grow from this for the glory of your name. Jesus himself modeled that in the garden the night before He went to the cross. Father, if there is any way that this cup of your wrath can pass from me, Lord, let it be, but not my will. Yours be done. You see, if we truly abide in Christ, taking root in him by our faith and trust, his words abiding in us, we won't want things that are not according to his will. He continually supplies our needs, does he not? More than we can ask or think, as Paul says in Ephesians 3. 
He continually supplies our needs. He knows what we're going to ask even before we ask them. We must ask according to his will. Verse 8, by this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our heavenly Father is glorified when we abide in Christ. When we live in a way in which we are called to and earnestly seeking to honor the Lord in our lives by trusting him in his word, living Christ-like lives, our Father is glorified. It's part of the demonstrating when we say proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. The Father is glorified. We prove to be Jesus' disciples. The proclaiming and demonstrating of the gospel in the life of a believer shows the people where we live, work, and play that we are his. It's a living testimony. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is declaring the same love that the Father has shown to him. He shows to us. Jesus is the head of the church. So in essence, God has shown his same love towards us through Jesus. Because he is our mediator between us and the Father. Jesus says, abide in my love. We should continually enjoy and not deprive of ourselves of this great love that he's shown to us. We must continually rest reside in the grace that has been shown to us. Verse 10 tells us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He did this with the Father. He kept the Father's commandments. He abided in his love, so he tells us to keep the same commandment. We must abide in him. This is a picture for us of perseverance in the life of a Christian. Keeping the Lord's commandments can be difficult. We can wrestle with sin, right? We all do. We must persevere through the trials, through the temptations, walking according to the Spirit. Verse 11 tells us, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus' literal words to his disciples in this context are spoken. The beauty for us as Christians 2,000 plus years later is that we have the word of God for us to learn from. They had Jesus there in the flesh. We, by faith through the Holy Spirit, have God speaking to us every single time this page of this book is opened. Paul tells us in his letter to Timothy, this is the breathed out word of God. God speaks every time we open and we read and we hear from him. In turn, in turn, excuse me, we live according to the word. The Holy Spirit reveals things to us more and more through the word. And that joy is there for us. We have joy from it. Jesus Part of the trinity of God, he is the one who paid the price. He never, ever 
wanted to not give us that love, grace, and mercy. It was all according to the will of the Father, all according to His plan. Therefore, we have much joy, much gratitude, much thankfulness for what He's done for us. We should live it out. Jesus shifts a little bit in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Pretty straightforward. Jesus is telling them, this is my commandment. This is not an option. Brothers and sisters, this is not an option that I'm giving to you. You will love one another just as I have loved you. The same love that I have given to you, you will give to one another. Verse 13, the often quoted verse, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying that there, and he's giving them that example. There's no greater love that could ever be given than for somebody to give up their life for someone else. These disciples don't know it there in that moment, but Jesus is foreshadowing, I'm about to give up my life for you. People I love, I'm about to die for you, as well as the rest of the world that you don't know, but I know them and I love them, and I'm going to die for them. 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now again, this isn't a, if you do this, I'll do this for you. It's not like that. There's no workspace stuff happening here. Instead, he's letting them know that they are his friends. They are a part of the family. He's not just the rabbi, he knows them intimately. You may be reading this or hearing this and, and asking the question, how can he indicate that we are his friends when we're actually his enemies because of our sin? Although we are his enemies, his death paid the price for all, as I just said a moment ago. Once and for all, because he loved the world. And see, for us, it's, it's kind of hard for us to even wrestle with that, Right? Because by worldly, earthly standards, like, it's like that love doesn't feel like it exists a lot, especially today. It's the ultimate, most purest form of love. The love that God gives to us. It's unconditional. Verse 15, we're almost done. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, Jesus is showing this ultimate sign of love and compassion to his followers. He shared with us the, the things that the Father has told him. This is incredible. He's telling him, guys, I have made clear to you the things that the Father has shown to me. I've brought you into the fold. We know more and more and grow deeper and deeper in this union with Christ as we abide and we spend time with him. Therefore, we bear more and more fruit. We know what the master's doing. We've heard it. We've read it. We've seen the work of God in our lives. 
And Jesus says in verse 16, you did, not choose, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he has given to you. What a beautiful verse. Jesus has appointed those followers to go and bear fruit. They didn't go seeking him. He went to them. He went to Matthew while he's sitting in the tax booth, being hated by society for all that he did, and he says, follow me. Matthew gets up and he goes. He didn't just go and, and, and find Peter, James, and John on the boat and, and start fishing, and, and he, he didn't say, hey, guys, do, do you want to come and hang out or do something? And he just says, follow me. And those guys who were doing their father's trade because they couldn't make it by the religious system immediately left their nets and they followed him. Back in 1996, I didn't just go and say, man, I, I, I think I want to do this. No, Jesus says, come to me. In that moment, I repented of my sin and I confessed Jesus as Lord. We all have a story of a time where the Lord has done an incredible work of that in our lives. If you're in Christ. Let's conclude with verse 17. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. One of the biggest takeaways that you can take from Scripture, church, is when you're going through a passage... If you notice things are repeated in the passage, you need to circle those or you need to underline them. Because that is moments where if the Lord is repeating these things through the passage, it needs to be grasped. We need to take that and we need to chew on that. Here again, Jesus says, I have commanded you. And he also says that you love one another. He also, earlier in the passage, as we saw many times, talked about abiding. These things I've commanded you so that you love one another. I love the reminder of loving one another here. And if you recall, one of the distinctives that Jesus reminds them of, he, he does it just a little bit earlier in John's gospel. He says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let me conclude with this question of application. I asked you earlier if, if you're abiding in the Lord. As being one of the branches of the vine, are you living in such a way to where the people that are in your circle of accountability saw this love. The love that you show to your family, the love that you show to your friends, the love to show to your fellow co-workers, to your fellow neighbors, do they see this love? And if they don't see this love, my question is, why not? And how can we grow to make this different. 
what would our circles of accountability look like if we took ownership for the lostness that's around us and we made much of Jesus, the true vine, as we are his branches, prayerfully bearing fruit. Before the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray for us. I want to encourage you during this time, like, if the Lord is speaking to you about something and you need to write it down, take the time and journal about it. Take the time and pray about it. Maybe the Lord is directing you to do something. You need clarity. You need help with doing that. You want to know, hey, what are some next steps that I can do to, to move forward in this? That's what I'm here for. I want to help you. Maybe you've got that person on your mind right now that is apart from the Lord. You want to pray for their salvation? You want somebody to pray with you for their salvation? Whatever it may be, I'm here for you. I'll be up here, I'll be singing, but don't let that stop you. If you need prayer or something, I'm here. Let's ask the Father to direct us before we sing. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you right now thanking you, Lord, for your word. Thanking you, Lord, for passages like this today where we see the beauty of the fact that you, Jesus, are the vine and that we, people who have been saved by your grace and mercy and your sacrifice, we are the branches. Lord, I pray for every Christian in the room or listening online that maybe they would say, yeah, I, I don't really see fruit in my life. Father, I pray that you'd prune in a way to help them see the opportunities in front of them to bear fruit. Lord, I pray for maybe the one here today or listening online that says, yeah, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And as it stands right now, I'm a branch that will wither away and be thrown into the fire. Lord, I pray if you're working in them right now, Lord, that today may be the day of salvation. That they would step out in faith. They would repent and believe and they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, whatever you're doing right now, I pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in us. Be glorified. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.